It's good to be with y'all. My name, I know we have a lot of guests in here this morning, so my name is Tim. I'm on staff at the church. I work with the students, and I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you for participating in worship with us. Um, But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 25. Uh, There are Bibles in the pews. It's also printed in your bulletin if you'd like that. Well, if you're like my family, um, one of the things we do during the week of Thanksgiving is we put up the Christmas tree, you know, so usually it's either on Thanksgiving Day or the day after Thanksgiving, Um, and you may not know this, you may be unaware, but that's actually something that is hotly debated, which is when does the Christmas tree go up? Um, I would say probably the standard, most of us probably do it at some point during the holiday of Thanksgiving, while we have some time off from work, while everybody's home, make a little tradition out of it. But you know, there are some kind of radical, newfangled people who think Halloween ends October 31st, so the Christmas tree goes up November 1st, time for Christmas. Now there are some who really like clean division, so they say October, that's Halloween, November, that's Thanksgiving, so December 1st, that's when the Christmas tree goes up. Uh, And it's a really important question to know when do you put the tree up because for most of us, when we put up our Christmas tree, that signals that it is time for Christmas. And so when the Christmas switch kind of gets flipped in our lives, all of a sudden things start changing, right? We change the way we dress, we decorate our homes, we listen to different music, we watch different movies, we eat different food, we drink things like eggnog, and we put huge amounts of effort into spending time with our family and our loved ones. And so Christmas, one day a year, it happens once, December 25th, that one day actually changes how we live our lives from anywhere between two months to 25 days. And what the author of Hebrews wants us to see this morning is that there is a day that's coming that is meant to change how we live. That Advent is coming and the day is drawing near and that is supposed to tell us how to survive now. So if you would please, let's look at God's Word, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. This is God's Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from every evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir, stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day is drawing near." This is God's Word, and He gave it to you because He loves you, and so you can know Him. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we look to Your Word, as we look to Your Word to be good news for us, we are are thankful that You both recorded, preserved, and gave us Your truth, Your revelation, in our own language, that we can read the Bible and understand it and encounter the goodness of grace through Jesus. I pray that's what would happen this morning as we investigate Hebrews 10 that we would encounter the goodness of grace. Please be with me as I speak. Please be with us as we hear, and may your Spirit encourage each and every one of us as we worship you. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 
So I wanted to outline the passage this morning in two ways. I wanted to say Advent and Advent. But I figured that might get a little confusing. Um, so, but what I really want to stress is that what's going on in Hebrews chapter 10 is there is a reality between the first advent and the second advent, that there's something going on there, that there is a period between Christ's arrival and Christ's return where Christians are called to live in a new and living way. And so you may not realize this, but the only thing that's left to happen in redemptive history, which redemptive history is just a way of saying the way in which God saves and redeems his people across time, that the only thing that is left to happen is for Christ to return. That you and I and the hearers of Hebrew are actually living in what the Scripture calls the last days. And so the author of Hebrews tells us how we're supposed to live that way. And what our passage says is that the day is drawing near. That Christ's return is is drawing near. And so this is what I want us to consider this morning. How do we live like the day is drawing near? So two points that might be a little less confusing. Christ's arrival, Christ's return. Christ's arrival and Christ's return. That's how we're going to consider our passage this morning. So first, Christ's arrival. Have you ever considered or maybe really thought about the fact, why did Jesus have to be born? Like, why did Jesus have to put off heaven put on humanity, be born of a virgin, and be as human and be as real as you and I? Well, we know the answer to that, right? It's, it's to save us. I mean, we just sang, you know, Christ was born a child and yet a king. But how Jesus saves us and how Jesus rules and reigns as a king is incredibly important to what it means to live in his world before he returns. And you see, the letter of Hebrews was written to a people who, they were trying to return back to the old ways. It was newly converted Christians, they were mostly Jewish, and they wanted to go back to the old system. The old system of the temple and the sacrifices and the tribes of priests. And so one of the biggest questions that ends up being asked in the book of Hebrews is, okay, if Christ is here, what does that mean? And the answer that keeps getting said again and again and again throughout the letter is that Jesus is superior. Like, if you want to know how Jesus is better, just read the letter to the Hebrews. And so, what ends up happening is, verse 19 starts with a therefore. It's a great question you can always ask of Scripture if you're ever reading, what is the therefore, therefore? And so what's happening in verse 19 is for a couple of chapters, the author has been building this case where it says Jesus is better than the sacrifice. Jesus is better than the priest. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the earthly reality. It's saying Jesus is better. And then it gets to this point where it says, therefore. This is what we see. How is Jesus better than the old ways? Well, in verses 19 through 21, we see that we can enter the holy places that we have a new way of living in that Jesus is our priest. And each one of those things was not possible under the old system. 
You know, if you've ever read the Old Testament, it can be incredibly confusing to kind of encounter what shows up in there. You know, worship is centered around a physical place. You know, it's the Garden of Eden, and then it's Mount Sinai, and then in the wilderness they build a tabernacle, which is a big tent, and then when they get to the Promised Land, they build a temple, and that's where worship happens. And there's all these priests with different levels and responsibilities, and there's a whole tribe of them. They're the Levites. And once a year, there's this incredibly important sacrifice that happens. It's called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest goes into the temple, washes himself, becomes pure, makes sacrifice for his sins, and then sacrifices a bull and a goat, and it atones for the sins of all the people. I mean, it's in Leviticus 16. You can go read about this. This is the most important day of the year under the old system. The Day of Atonement where sin is dealt with. And so we read that and we're like, this seems kind of barbaric. It's bloody, it's messy, it has all these rules around it. But what we see is that God gave his people this system. They didn't create it. It wasn't something that they came up with. It actually comes from God. And so it has a purpose. And the purpose is that it's actually rehearsing atonement. You see, no Israelite, no Jewish person would look at the Day of Atonement and say, wow, Whew, problem solved. You know, this bull has been sacrificed, the high priest went and did his thing, problem solved, everything's okay. Now they would look at that and they would see, unless something changes, we're going to do this again next year. The same thing has to happen next year. And so I don't know if any of you have noticed, but I have a beard. Um, don't believe the rumors, I was not born with a beard. Um, but there was a point in my life where I had to shave every day. Um, in high school, I worked for Chick-fil-A, and one of the uniform requirements for guys was that we had to have a clean-shaven face. And so I shaved every day. Um, I don't think I've done that since. But I can remember as a young boy, um, as a little kid, I actually asked my dad, he said I probably couldn't have been more than four or five years old, when my brothers and I, we all got this play kind of shaving kit. You know, it came with like a little brush for the soap and a little cloth to wipe your razor and this little like rubber razor thing. Some of y'all may have had one of these when you were younger. Um, and so it's one of my earliest memories, but it's my brothers and I and my dad kind of standing in front of the mirror, my dad actually shaving, us pretending to shave, kind of just wiping the um, shaving cream off our face, making this huge mess. Um, and what were we doing? But we were, you know, I didn't have any facial hair. I had this little rubber razor that couldn't do anything. We were rehearsing what I would have to do one day to just manage this thing. But in that moment, like, you know, that razor couldn't shave my face now. It couldn't deal with what was going on now. But the practice of it was important. You see, what the Israelites were doing, what God's people were told to do under the old system is, I want you to a practice atonement. I want you to rehearse the steps by which it takes to solve your biggest problem. And so here's what they're doing. They're rehearsing their need to be cleansed. And so no Israelite, no Jewish person would look at the blood of bulls or goats and say, there it is, my greatest problem, sin, it's dealt with. No. They would look at that sacrifice and say, my sin requires blood to be spilt. My sin actually sheds blood, and these animals aren't going to do anything for me. And so I pray that God would have mercy on me. And look, what our passage is telling us this morning, what the book of Hebrews is building up to in chapter 10, is that when we see Christ arrive, 
When Jesus arrives on the scene, all of a sudden, everything changes. Chapter 10 has been making this big case where it says none of it's going to work. Only Jesus. He's superior. He's better. And it says Jesus is the better sacrifice. You see, the blood of bulls and goats can't save you. But the blood of Jesus spilt on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. A sinless sacrifice who was a human in flesh paid the penalty for our sin. And when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished, it's actually finished. It's done. It's accomplished. And so there, our greatest problem, sin, can only be solved by Jesus when he shows up on the scene and he changes everything. You see, our passage also says something else about Jesus. It says because of his sacrifice, we can enter the holy places, but it also says he's our priest. And so in verse 21, it says we have a great priest over the house of God. You see, Jesus is a better priest because he never stops bringing us near to God. You know, the role of the priest was to intercede and bring God's people near to him through cleansing and washing. But the problem with the Levites were they could only do that job as long as they were alive. Every Levite, every priest under the old way died, and then someone else had to take the job. But with Jesus, who raised from the dead, who is alive right now, who is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, saying, they are okay because of me. Jesus is our better priest. Um, and that may sound like it has nothing to do with your life. Right? Priests are kind of that, you know, we have pastors, we're in a different kind of thing. It doesn't make sense. Why does Jesus being a priest mean anything? Well, one of the other jobs that a priest has is determining what is clean and what is unclean. And if Jesus is the better priest because he is also the perfect sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God, then you have to agree, you have to admit that Jesus is the ultimate decider on what is clean and what is unclean. And so when you are in your worst day, when you are knocked down with despair, when you are riddled with guilt and grief over sin, when you can't even bear the weight of your own identity, Jesus looks at you and he says, because of the cross, because of my role as your priest, because of the sacrifice I gave, which was my life, you don't get to decide whether you're clean or unclean. I do. And my work was enough. You're clean. Your sins are dealt with. But what that also means is on your best day, when you are blowing and going and you are changing the world one task at a time, making all things better, Jesus looks at you and says, that's great. But you don't get to decide whether you're clean or unclean. I do. And my work on the cross, my blood being spilt was enough. And so you're clean because I say so. So think about what this means for tomorrow right? It's been a long holiday week. Kids have been out of school. You know, maybe you've been traveling out of town, coming back in, and there are mountains of things that you haven't gotten done. Like, that, the house is a wreck, and tomorrow, a lot of you are going to have to go back to work, or you're going to have to go back to school, and there's going to be some kind of crisis. It could be a small one. It could be a big one. Some of you are going to stay at home, and you're like, gosh, there's so much to do. The laundry's not done. We haven't done grocery shopping for the week, and cleaning this house just gives me stress. Well, what does that feel like? It's exhausting. You know? That's why we say, I need a vacation from my vacation. And listen, you could go home tonight, 
and you could write down every single thing you have to get done in the next week. You know, we kind of call that doing the Sunday scaries, which is looking forward to the next week. But you could write down every single thing that you have to accomplish. And if you are in Christ, you know it will never be on that list. If you are in Christ, then make right before God your sins will never be on that list. If you are in Christ, then clean everything that was unclean from the past week will never be on that list. If Jesus is your priest, then he points to his atoning work and says, you are clean because I made you clean. And it makes things a little less scary. It doesn't make them less hard, but it makes them less scary. You see, Jesus is saying, I had to be born. I had to put off, I had to put off heaven and put on humanity to enter into this world so that he could make you clean. You see, that's the first advent. The first advent is Christ's arrival, the inbreaking of heaven, changing everything, fulfilling the law perfectly, being the atoning sacrifice for sin, and making a new way for us. You see, the first advent makes everything new. Christ's arrival says everything that's born into sin, everything that's been corrupted, everything that's been unclean, I have come to restore, make new, and make clean. So tomorrow, yeah, you can absolutely say that it's going to be hard. But you're going to be okay because Jesus is better. So that's the first advent. It's Christ's arrival. What about the second advent, which is Christ's return? So verse 22 tells us, this is what we do now. This is what Christians are called to do. It says, for the people who are living in between the advents, Christ's first arrival, Christ's return, we are here in the middle. He says, draw near with full assurance because you are clean and you are washed pure. Um, I'm not much of a car guy. I'm really not. You may have seen my 04 Corolla. It's real nice. But I'm fascinated by this phenomenon called barn finds. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's, it's this thing where there's some kind of classic car or maybe super rare car that's been sitting out in a field or in a barn for years. Um, And so and it's, you know, maybe come straight off the lot and into the barn and never be driven, or it has very low mileage on it, so it's in really good, like, mechanical shape. And so these car enthusiasts find these rare cars out in fields or in barns, and they take them back to their shop. And usually these things are dirty. They're, you know, the inside's got cobwebs, maybe an animal's been living in it, or there's dirt all over the hood, and you can't see out the windshield. But they take these cars back to their shop, and they use the right products to clean it, And they kind of repair anything that's broken over time because of decay, maybe hoses or wiring, you know, or a component here or there. But with a little time and a little care, all of a sudden these cars that were thought to be lost, that they thought no more of these cars exist, well, they look like the day they came off the lot. They look brand new. They are fully restored. And you see, Christ's arrival begins that process of restoration. It begins to restore humanity back to the way that God created us, to heal the world. See, Jesus says he's cleaned us up, he's washed us, he's given us a new heart, but he doesn't just restore us so that we can be shiny vehicles in a showroom. No, he says you're made for the road. There are things that you're supposed to do. And so the day, the day that Christ's return is drawing near, 
Look, in verses 23, 24, and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, this is what it means to live like the day is drawing near. Hold fast to the faith, stir one another up in love, meet together and encourage one another. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, those are not things you can do by yourself. Jesus did not come and save you and heal you and fix you and change the, the entire system so that you could just go through this life as an individual by yourself. No, Jesus says the day is drawing near and this is supposed to change the way we live and it's calling us to move towards community. You know, not just any community, not just my people, not just the people that like the things I like, but move towards the community of Christ's bride, the church. Like, do you know what's going to happen at the second advent at Christ's return? Like, do you know how the scripture talks about what's going to happen when Christ returns? I mean, sometimes I can be scary. We get these images of last days and we use the word judgment, which is the right word, but we often use it in the wrong way. You see, when Christ returns, this is what's going to happen. Heaven and earth are going to meet. And we sometimes get confused and we have this imagery of like, we're going to beam up to heaven. That's not the way the scripture talks about it. Now, the Bible actually says heaven is going to come down and join us on the earth. Like glory, heaven, the end times are going to be very earthly. It's Christ coming to us again. Christ's return is community coming together. Now, obviously what we said, it means heaven and earth joining together. It means all of the people around the world, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every church member coming together and worshiping. It also means your body coming together. It means the things that are broken in this world, whether that be things like addiction or mental health or physical ailments, or separation from things that you once were able to do. It's saying, you will be made whole. Christ's return is everything coming together. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is as we expect the day to come, just like God's people did before Christ's return, or before Christ's arrival, and they rehearsed atonement, we are actually told to rehearse heaven. It says, how do we live like the day is drawing near? Will we live like the reality that we're headed towards? We're headed towards everything coming together. We're called to rehearse the life we'll have in heaven. And so what that means is how we spend our time matters. Um, There's an underreaction to that. And there's an overreaction to that. So if we are called to rehearse heaven and how we spend our time matters, the way we could underreact to that would be to say, well, Jesus is going to fix everything, and when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be okay. So I'm going to kind of do my best now. I'll, you know, I'll love my family well. I'll be a part of the church. But I'm really just going to kind of do me, do what I want to do, and not stress about it too much. You know, nothing's really my biggest priority. I'm just kind of making my way through this world. Resting in Christ never means leaving his bride. Um, That's why the passage says, do not neglect to meet together. It's important to be with the people who you're going to be with forever. Well, an overreaction to how we spend our time in rehearsing heaven would be to say that everything in this world has to feel like heaven now and deny the reality of pain, deny the reality of suffering, just be all about the good, be chasing joy in every situation, no struggle, no room for error, only good. 
That's a way to overreact. It says the day is drawing near. It's not here yet. So both of these extremes actually miss the point. How do we live like Christ is coming back? You find your family. When you are overwhelmed by the week ahead or the week behind, when you are stressed, when you are at the end of your rope, look, the scripture really is telling us come to worship. Come be with the church. It's actually a taste of heaven. It's actually rehearsing what is ours in Christ's return. Look, when you are blessed with abundance, whether that's time, money, energy, or your youth, we're meant to build one another up in love. Share it. Share it with God's people. Share it with those you're called to be around. The day is drawing near. When your neighbor is in need, serve them. When you are weak, surround yourself with those who are strong. Encourage one another. Like This is what the author of Hebrews isn't telling us to do. It's saying, live like heaven is here. Because the day is drawing near. Christ's return is going to bring all things together. I'll close with this. I was, um, I was having a conversation recently with one of my friends who's in ministry. And he was just kind of sharing with me some of the struggles and the ways in which he was really discouraged. You know, it's, it's been a tough time to be in ministry the last year and a half. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I know, like, I really do have the answer. I know I'm supposed to lean on Jesus, but I don't feel strong enough. Um, and that stuck with me. Well, one, because I can relate, but two, because it's, it's absolutely wrong. It's where we find ourselves all too often, but it's absolutely wrong. See, Jesus didn't save us. He didn't make us clean. He didn't offer us a new way of living so that we can be strong enough to lean on him. Jesus always says, it is my strength, not yours, that keeps us from wavering. It's for he who promised is faithful. Jesus' arrival made us new. Jesus' return will bring us home. Friends, that day is drawing near. And so if you don't know him, he is faithful. He will make you clean. He will call you into a community that helps you rehearse heaven until he returns. Like That's how we're going to make it. So come to him. You can trust him. He's good. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we seek to glorify you through our worship, to study you, to know you, to be encouraged by you, to be filled with your spirit, I pray that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Because you're coming back, the day is drawing near. Help us to rehearse the realities of heaven now in this world as we move more and more towards glory. Help us to see your son Jesus as our Savior and as enough. Help us to know that in Christ we are made clean and that we need that grace, we need that reminder, we need your mercy every day. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.